Stamps.com Postage on demand. Print your own postage and shipping labels in seconds. Click instantly buy and calculate exact postage. Print, print postage labels, envelopes, or plain paper. Mail affix postage and mail anywhere in the world. Give Stamps.com a try. Get $5 in free postage. Check offer details on Stamps.com. Corporate postage solutions have more than two locations. Stamps.com Enterprise is a postage solution for you. Shipping solutions. Process and print shipping labels fast. Enjoy shipping discounts and more. Stamps.com versus postage meters. The choice is clear. Stamps.com offers more features than at a fraction of the cost. Approved license vendor of USPS. Save big with discounted rates from USPS and UPS. Stamps.com is an independent vendor of, uh, of the USPS and UF, USPS, U, UPS. Here's how it works. Open Stamps.com account. Simplify. Simply click the Get Started button to sign up for Stamps.com and get access to all the services of, of the post office right from your computer 24-7. Even get discounts you can't get at the post office. Try it out with $5 free postage. Stamps.com will give you four weeks to see if they are right for you. For you, stamps.com is so confident you'll like them. They'll also throw in throw in five dollars free postage to use during the four weeks. Don't pay unless you stay. Cancel your account online or call one eight five five six zero eight two six seven seven to cancel within the four week trial period and pay no service fee. The monthly fee is just seven seventeen ninety nine plus taxes, if any, including the first month your service will continue in uninterrupted as long as you do not cancel your 24 7 post office send invoices letters packages print official usps postage domestic or international no more guesswork how much postage what mail what mail class stamps.com will figure it out for you eliminate trips to the post office anything you can do at the post office you can do right from your desk 24 7 do more than a postage meter for less. Avoid hidden fees, equipment, insurance, and there's no extra hardware to buy or lease. Never pay full price for stamps again. Get postage discounts you won't, you can't even get at the post office. Customer support, always ready to help. Available by phone, email, or chat. Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Not just for a small office mailing. Uh, multi-location multi -location solutions, shipping solutions, and warehouse solutions. ThriveMarket.com Healthy living made easy. Guaranteed savings on your favorites. Organic brands delivered to your door. Healthy groceries shouldn't break the bank. Low price promise. Find a product cheaper elsewhere. Thrive will beat the price. Here's how it works. Build your order, shop 6,000 or more wholesome products, curated just for members. Never run out. Get recur recurring deliveries on a schedule personalized to you. You're in control. Easily add or remove items, skip a delivery, or pause anytime. Your new one-stop shop. From organic pantry staples to clean beauty to non-toxic home. 
shot by over 70 diets and values, gluten-free, ketogenic, organic, or vegan. Thoughtfully sourced seafood, Thrive Market is aligned closely to with key industry watchdogs to identify partners who catch sustainable and traceable seafood. For $5 a month, for a risk-free trial for 30 days, fast-free carbon-neutral shipping, free gifts and samples, every membership gives to someone in need, better for you and the planet, ethical and sustainable sourcing, carbon-neutral shipping, keto waste warehouse, recyclable compostable packaging, Thrive also gives <coughs> every annual... Every annual membership sponsors a free one for a family in need. <coughs> Thrive's mission is to help make organic foods more accessible. Good morning and happy Halloween. Hope you're ready for U.S. President number 27, William Howard Taft, Part 3. Civil Rights. Taft announced in his inaugural address that he would not appoint African-Americans defensive jobs such as postmaster where this would cause racial friction. This differed from Roosevelt, who would not remove or replace black office holders with whom local whites would not deal. Term Taft's Southern Policy, this stance effectively invited white pro protests against black appointees. Taft followed through, removing most black office holders in the South and made few appointments to, of African Americans in the North. At the time Taft was inaugurated, the way forward for African Americans was debated by their leaders Booker T. Washington felt that most blacks should be trained for industrial work with only a few seeking higher education. W.E.B. Dubois took a more militant stand for equality. Taft tended toward Washington's approach. According to Coletta, Taft let the African-American be kept in his place. Thus, he thus failed to see or follow the humanitarian mission historically associated with the Republican Party with the result that Negroes both North and South began to drift towards the Democratic Party. Taft, the Unitarian, was a leader in the early 20th century of the favorable reappraisal of Catholicism's historic role. It tended to neutralize anti-Catholic sentiments, especially in the Far West, where Protestantism was a weak force. In the Philippines, American government officials, journalists, and popular writers celebrated the Catholic missionary efforts that had transformed the pagan land, arguing that Filipino Catholic faith and clerical authority could aid in economic and cultural development. Taft, the top American official in Manila, was a spokesman for the reappraisals. He gave a speech at the Catholic University of Notre Dame in Indiana in 1904, praising the enterprise, courage, and fidelity to duties that distinguished those heroes of Spain who braved the then frightful dangers of the deep to carry Christianity and European civilization into the far off Orient. A second approach looked at Catholic missions in California, where local boosters celebrated the history of Spanish and Franciscan missions. They could not only they not only restored and preserved old missions, which had been inactive since the 1830s, but began appealing to tourists with a romantic mission story. Their mission style became popular for public buildings, schools, and colleges. As President Taft in 1909 went to California to praise Father Junipo Serra as an apostle, legend, legend, and builder who advanced the beginning of civilization in California. A supporter of free immigration, Taft vetoed a bill passed by Congress and supported by labor, labor unions that would have restricted unskilled laborers by imposing a liter, literacy test. 
Judicial appointments. Tax promoted Associate Justice Edward Douglas White to be Chief Justice of the United States. Taft made six appointments to the Supreme Court. Only George Washington and Franklin D. Roosevelt have made more. The death of Justice Rufus Peckham in October 1909 gave Taft his first opportunity. He chose an old friend and colleague from the Sixth Circuit, Horace H. Lurton of Georgia. He had in vain urged Theodore Roosevelt to appoint Lurton to the High Court Attorney General. Wickersham objected that Lurton, a former Confederate soldier and a Democrat, was aged 65. Taft named Lurton anyway on December 13, 1909, and the Senate confirmed him by a voice vote a week later. Lurton is still the oldest president to be made an associate justice. Lurie suggested that Taft already be set by the tariff and conservation, conservative desire to platform desire to perform an official act, which gave him pleasure, especially since he thought Lurton deserved it. Justice David Josiah Brewer's death on March 28, 1910 gave Taft a second opportunity to fill a seat on the High Court. He chose New York Governor Charles Evan Hughes. Taft told Hughes that should the Chief Justice fall vacant during his term, Hughes would be his likely choice for the center seat. The Senate quickly confirmed Hughes, but then Chief Justice Fuller died on July 4, 1910. Taft took five months to replace Fuller, and when he did, it was with Justice Edward Douglas White, who became the first Associate Justice to be voted to Chief Justice. According to Lurie, Taft, who still had hopes of being Chief Justice, may have been more willing to appoint an older man than he, White, than a younger one he is, who might outlive him, as indeed he was dead to fill White's seat as a justice, Associate Justice. Taft appointed Willis Van Devanter of Wyoming, a federal appeals judge. By the time Taft nominated White and Van Den Devanter in December 1910, he had another seat to fill due to William Henry Moody's retirement because of illness. He named the Louisiana Democrat Joseph R. Lamar, whom he had met while playing golf and had subsequently learned had a good reputation as a judge. With the death of Justice Harlan in October 1911, Taft got to fill a sixth seat on the Supreme Court. After the next Secretary Knox declined an appointment, Taft named Chancellor of New Jersey Malin Pitney, the last person appointed to the Supreme Court, who did not attend law school. Pitney had a strong anti-labor record with Taft's other appointments and was the only one to meet opposition winning confirmation by a Senate vote of 50 to 26. Taft appointed 13 judges to the Federal Courts of Appeals and 38 to the United States District Courts. Taft also appointed judges to various specialized courts, including the first five appointees, each to the United States Commerce Court and the United States Court of Custom Appeals. The, the Commerce Court, created in 1910, stemmed from a Taft proposal for a specialized court to hear appeals from the Interstate Commerce Commission. There was considerable opposition to his establishment, which only grew when none of his judges, Robert W. Archibald, was in 1912 impeached for corruption and removed by the Senate the following January. Taft vetoed a bill to abolish the court, but the respite was short-lived as Woodrow Wilson signed similar legislation in October 1913. 1912 presidential campaign and election, moving apart from Roosevelt. During Roosevelt's 15 months beyond the Atlantic from 9, March 1909 to June 20, 1910, neither man wrote much to the other. Taft bragged where Lewis suggests suggested that each expected the other to make the first move to re-establish a relationship upon a new footing. Upon Roosevelt's triumphant return, Taft invited to stay at the White House. The former president declined and in private letters to friends expressed dissatisfaction at Taft's performance. 
Nevertheless, he wrote that he expected Taft to be renominated by the Republicans in 1912, but did not speak of him as a, himself as a candidate. Taft and Roosevelt met twice in 1910. The meeting, so outwardly cordial, did not display their former closeness. Roosevelt gave a series of speeches in the West in the late summer and early fall of 1910. Roosevelt was not only attacked the Supreme Court's 1905 decision in Lochner versus New York, he accused the federal courts of undermining democracy and called for them to be deprived of the power to rule legislation unconstitutional. This attack horrified Taft, who privately agreed that Lochner had been wrongly decided. Roosevelt called for elimination of corporate expenditures for political purposes, physical value, physical valuation of railroad properties, regulation of industrial combinations, establishment of an export tariff commission, a graduate income tax, as well as workmen's compensation laws, state and natural legislation to regulate the labor of women and children, and complete publicity of campaign expenditure. According to John Murphy in his journal article on the bridge between the two presidents, as Roosevelt began to move to the left, <coughs> Taft veered to the right. During the 1910 midterm election campaign, Roosevelt involved himself in New York politics while Taft, with denotions and influence, tried to secure the election of the Republican gubernatorial candidate in Ohio, former Lieutenant Governor Warren G. Harding. The Republicans suffered losses in the 1910 elections as the Democrats took control of the White House and slashed the Republican majority in the Senate. In New Jersey, Democrat Woodrow Wilson was elected governor and Harding lost his race in Ohio. After the election, Roosevelt continued to promote progressive ideals, a new nationalism much to Taft's dismay. Roosevelt attacked his successor's administration, arguing that his guiding principles were not that of the party of Lincoln, but those of the, of the Gilded Age. The feud continued on and off through 1911, a year in which there were few elections of significance. Wisconsin Senator La Follette announced a, a presidential run as, as a Republican and was backed by a convention of progressives. Roosevelt began to move into a position for a run in late 1911, writing that the tradition that presidents not run for a third term only applied to consecutive terms. Roosevelt was receiving many letters from supporters urging him to run, and Republican office holders were organizing on his behalf. Blocked on many policies by an unwilling Congress and courts in his full term in, in the White House, he saw manifestations of public support he believed would sweep him into to the White House with a mandate for progressive policies that would no that would brook no opposition. In in February, Roosevelt announced he would accept the Republican nomination if it was offered to him. Taft felt that if if he helped that if he lost in November it would be a repudiation of the party, but if he lost renomination it would be a rejection of himself. He was elected to oppose Roosevelt who helped him who helped make him the president, but having become president, he was determined to be president, and that meant not standing aside to allow Roosevelt to gain another term. Primaries and conventions. As Roosevelt became more radical in his progressivism, Tav was hardened in his resolve to achieve renomination as he, as he was convinced that the progressives threatened the very foundation of the government. One blow to Tav was the loss of Archibald Butt, one of the last links between the previous and present president. President, as Butt had formerly served Roosevelt and prevalent between his loyalties, Butt went to Europe on vacation in, in early 1912. He sailed for home in April on the RSMS Titanic and died in its sinking, a death Taft found hard to accept as his body was not recovered. Taft and Roosevelt, political enemies in 1912. Roosevelt dominated, dominated the primaries, winning 278 of the 362 delegates to the Republican National Convention 
in Chicago decided in that manner. Taft had control of the, control of the party machinery and became to uh, and it came as no surprise that he gained the bulk of the delegates decided at this regard to take convention. Taft did not have a majority but was likely to have won one southern delegations committed to him. Roosevelt challenged the election of these delegates, but the RNC overruled most objections. Roosevelt's sole many chance was with a friendly convention chairman who might make rulings on the seating of delegates that favored his side. Taft followed custom and remained in Washington, but Roosevelt went to Chicago to run his campaign and told his supporters in a speech, We stand on Armageddon and we battle for the Lord. Taft had won over Root, who agreed to outrun for temporary chairman of the convention, and the delegates elected Root over Roosevelt's candidate. The Roosevelt forces moved to substitute the delegates they supported for the ones they argued should not be seated. Root made a crucial ruling that although the contested delegates could not vote on their own city, they could vote on the other contested delegates, a ruling that assured Taft's nomination as a motion offered by the Roosevelt forces failed. 567 to 507. As it became clear, Roosevelt would not would bolt the party if not nominated some <coughs> Some Republicans sought a compromised candidate to avert the electoral disaster to come. <coughs> they were unsuccessful. Taft's name was placed in nomination by Warren Hardy, whose attempts to praise Taft and unify the party were met with angry interruptions from progressives. Taft was nominated. On the first ballot, though, most Roosevelt delegates refused to vote. Campaign and defeat. All alleging Taft had stolen the nomination, Roosevelt and his followers formed the Progressive Party. Taft knew he would almost certainly be defeated, but concluded that through Roosevelt's loss at Chicago, the party had been preserved as a defender of conservative government and conservative, conservative institutions. He made his doomed run to preserve the Republican Party. Governor Woodrow Wilson was a Democratic nominee, seeing Roosevelt as a greater electoral threat. Wilson spent little time attacking Tab, arguing that Roosevelt had been lukewarm in opposing the trust during his presidency, and that Wilson was a true reformer. Taft contrasted what he called his progressive conservatism with Roosevelt's progressive democracy, which to Tab represented the establishment of a benevolent despotism. Reverting to the pre-Roosevelt custom that presidents seeking re-election did not campaign, Taft spoke publicly while only once make his nomination in such a speech on August 1st. He had difficulty in financing the campaign, as many industrials had and concluded he could not win and would support Wilson to block Roosevelt. The president issued a confident statement in September after Republicans nearly won Vermont's state elections in a three-way fight, but had no illusions he would win his race. He had hoped to send his cabinet office out on the campaign trail, but found them reluctant to go. Senator Root agreed to give a single speech for him. Vice President Sherman had been renominated in Chicago, seriously ill during the campaign. He died six days before the election and was placed on the ticket by the president of Columbia University, Nicholas Murray Butler, who few electors chose Taft and Butler, who only won Utah and Vermont for a total of eight electoral votes. Roosevelt won 88 and Wilson 435. Wilson won, though he had only a plurality of the plural popular votes and less of it than Taft and Roosevelt combined. Taft had, a hope, Taft had hoped to better Roosevelt in the popular vote, but finished with just under 3.5 million, over 600,000 less than the former president. Taft was not the 
was not on the ballot in California due to the actions of local progressives nor in South Dakota. Returned to Yale 1913 to 1921. With no pension or other compensation to, to expect from the government after leaving the White House, Taft contemplated a return to the practice of law from which he had long been absent. Given that Taft had appointed many federal judges, including a majority of the Supreme Court, this had raised questions of conflict of interest at every federal court appearance that he was saved from this by an offer for him to become Kent Professor of Law and Legal History at Yale Law School. He accepted and after a month's vacation in Georgia arrived in New Haven on April 1st, 1913 to a rupturous reception. As it was too late in the semester to, for him to give an academic course, he instead prepared eight lectures on questions of modern government, which he delivered in May. He earned money with paid speeches and with article for, articles for magazines and would end his eight years out of the office, having increased his savings. While at Yale, he wrote the treatise, Our Chief Magistrate and His Powers, 1916. Taft president of the Lincoln Memorial Commission while still in office. When Democrats proposed removing him for one of their party, he quipped that unlike losing the presidency, such a removal would hurt. The architect Henry Baker wanted to use Colorado Yule marble, while Southern Democrats urged using Georgia marble. Taft lobbied for the Western Stone, and the matter was submitted to the Commission of Fine Arts, which supported Taft and Bacon. The project went forward. Taft would dedicate the Lincoln Memorial as Chief Justice in 1922. In 1913, Taft was elected to a one-year term as President of the American Bar Association, ABA, a trade group of lawyers. He removed opponents such as Louis Brandeis and University of Pennsylvania Law School Dean William Draper Lewis, a supporter of the Progressive Party, from committees. Taft maintained a cordial relationship with Wilson. The former president privately criticized his successor on a number of issues but made his views known publicly only on Philippine policy. Taft was appalled when, after Justice Lamar's death in January 1916, Wilson nominated Brandeis whom the former president had never forgiven for his role in the Ballinger Pincho affair. When hearings led to nothing discreditable about Brandeis, Taft intervened with a letter signed by himself and other former ABA presidents stating that Brandeis was not fit to serve on the Supreme Court. Nevertheless, the Democratic-controlled Senate confirmed Brandeis, Taft, and Roosevelt remained embittered. They met only once in the first three years of Wilson's presidency at a funeral at Yale. They spoke only for a moment, politely, but formally. As president of the League of Enforced Peace, Taft hoped to prevent war through an industrial international association of nations with World War War raging in Europe. Taft sent Wilson a note of support for his foreign policy in 1915. President Wilson accepted Taft's invitation to address the League and spoke in May 1916 of a post-war inter- international organization that could prevent a, a repetition. Taft supported the f- effort to get Justice Hughes to resigned from the bench and accepted a Republican presidential nomination. Once this was done, Hughes tried to get Roosevelt and Taft to reconcile as a united effort was needed to defeat Wilson. This occurred on October 3rd in New York, but Wilson allowed, but Roosevelt allowed only a handshake and no words were exchanged. This was one of many difficulties for Republicans in the campaign and Wilson nearly won re-election. In March 1917, Taft demonstrated public support for the war effort by joining the Connecticut State Guard, a state defense force, Organized to carry out the state duties of the Connecticut National Guard while the National Guard served an active duty. When Wilson asked Congress to declare war on Germany on, in April 1917, Taft was an enthusiastic supporter. He 
He was chairman of the American Red Cross Executive Committee, which occupied much of the former president's time in August 1917. Wilson conferred military titles on executives of the Red Cross as a way to provide them with additional authority to use in carrying out their wartime responsibilities, and Taft was appointed a major general. During the war, Taft took leave from Yale to be co-chairman of the National War Labor Board. Taft was reassuring good relations between industry owners and their workers. In February 1918, the new RNC chairman, Will H. Hayes, approached Taft seeking reconciliation with Roosevelt. In May, Taft was in Chicago at the Blackstone Hotel, and when he heard that Roosevelt and his party were dining there, walked in on them, the two men embraced to the applause of the room, but the renewed relationship did not progress past toward outward friendliness before Roosevelt's death in January 1919. Taft later wrote, He had died in a hostile state of mind toward me. I would have mourned the fact all my life. I loved him always and cherished his memory. When Wilson proposed establishment of the of a League of Nations with the League's Charter Party of the Treasury of the Part of the Treaty of Versailles, Taft expressed public support. He was out of step with his party, whose senators were not inclined to ratify the treaty. Taft was in a flip-flop on the issue of whether reservations to the treaty were necessary, angered both sides, destroying any remaining influence he had with the Wilson administration, and caused some Republicans to call him a Wilson supporter and a traitor to his party. The Senate refused to ratify the Versailles Pact. Chief Justice, 1921 and 1930, appointment. During the 1920 election campaign, Taft supported the Republican ticket. Hardy, by then a senator, and Massachusetts Governor Calvin Coolidge, they were elected. Taft was among those asked to come to the president-elect home in Marion, Ohio, to advise him on appointments, and the two men conferred there on December 24, 1920. Taft's later account, after some conversation, Harding actually asked if Taft would accept appointment to the Supreme Court. If Taft would, Hardy would appoint him. Taft had a condition for Hardy, having said the president and having appointed two of the present associate justices and post Brandeis, he could accept only the chief justice position. Hardy made no response, and Taft, in the thank you note, reiterated the condition and stated that Chief Justice White had often told him he was keeping the position for Taft until a Republican held the White House. In January 1921, Taft heard, though, through intermediaries that Harding planned to appoint him if given the chance. White by then was in failing hell, but made no move to resign when Harding was sworn in on March 4, 1921. Taft, no, Taft called on the Chief Justice on March 26 and found White ill but still carrying on his work and not talking of retiring. Wife did not retire, dying in office on May 19, 1921. Taft issued a tribute to the man he had appointed to the center seat and waited and worried if he would be White's successor. Despite widespread speculation, Taft would be the pick. Harding be no quick announcement. Taft was lobbying for himself behind the scenes, especially with the Ohio politicians who formed Harding's inner circle. Yet later in March, Harding had also promised former Utah Senator George Sutherland a seat on the Supreme Court and was waiting in expectation that another place would become vacant. Harding was also considering a proposal by Chief by Justice William R. Day to crown his career by Chief by being Chief Justice for six months before retiring. Taft felt when he learned of this plan that a short-term appointment would not serve the office well and that once it confirmed by the Senate, the memory of Day would grow dim. After Harding rejected Day's plan, Attorney General Harry Dougherty, who supported Taft's candidacy, 
urged him to fill the vacancy he named Taft on June 30, 1921. The Senate confirmed Taft on the same the same day, 61 to 4, without any committee hearings and as a brief debate in an ex executive session. Taft drew the opposition of three pro progressive Republicans and one Southern Democrat. When he was sworn in on July 11th, he became the first and, and today only person to serve as both President and Chief Justice. Taft Court Membership Timeline Jurisprudence Commerce Clause The Supreme Court and the Taft compiled a conservative record in Commerce Clause Jurisprudence. This had the practical effect of making it difficult for the federal government to regulate industry, and the Taft Court also scuttled many state laws. The few liberals on the court, Brandeis Holmes and from 1925 Harlan Fisk Stone, sometimes protested, believing orderly progress essential, but often joined in the majority opinion. The white court had, in 1918, struck down an attempt by Congress to regulate child labor in Hammer versus Dagenhart. Congress thereafter attempted to end child labor by imposing a tax on certain corporations by making use of it. The law was overturned by the Supreme Court in 1922 in Bailey v. Drexel Furniture Company, with Taft writing the court's opinion for an 8-1 majority. He held that the tax was not intended to raise rent, but rather was an attempt to regulate matters reserved to the state under the 10th Amendment, and that allowing such taxation would eliminate the power of the states. One case in which Taft had and his court upheld federal regulation was Stafford v. Wallace. Taft ruled for a 7-1 majority that the processing of animals and stockyards was so closely tied to interstate commerce as to bring it within the ambit of Congress' power to regulate. A case in which the Taft Court struck down regulation was generated, that generated dissent from the Chief Justice was Atkins versus Children's Hospital. Congress has decreed a minimum wage for women. In the District of Columbia, a 5-3 majority of the Supreme Court struck it down. Justice Southern wrote for the majority that the recently run for 19th Amendment guaranteed women to vote meant that the sexes were equal when it came to bargaining power over working conditions. Taft in dissent, dissent deemed it this Deemed this unrealistic, Taft's dissent in Atkins was rare both because he offered few dissents and because it was one of the few times he took an expensive view of police power of the government. Stay tuned to part four of U.S. President number 27, William Howard Taft.